So if you're familiar with cheesy movies from the 1970s, you might have heard of a little story, a little movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. I know I have. Now, that's supposed to be a documentary about uh, encounters with a hairy hominid down in Arkansas. Mm. There's a little more to the story than you get to see there, though. Let's pursue it. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So, my love of this particular topic, I mean, Bigfoot figures in pretty prominently. I don't know about you. You know, we talk about UFOs and aliens and all kinds of other things. All the good stuff. But I can't tell you how many books I've read on Bigfoot growing up as a kid. Well, Bill, don't take this wrong. You kind of look like a Bigfoot. Well, I mean, I do have big feet and I don't shave. So, (laughs) a lot of hair going on. (laughs) That's... That was unexpected. Curveball. <laughs> but, uh, so back in the 70s, there was a sp- spate, a spot, sp- what would you, what was the word? The spate, I think, is the right word. I might be wrong. Spade? Spate. Spate. I am a unsure group, of what you're talking about. Group of sightings. I am unfamiliar with group this of sightings. We can, we'll cut that part out. Okay. <laughs> you lost me on that one. Back in the 70s, there was a batch of sightings near Falk, Arkansas, in Miller County. Uh, the initial sightings were focused around the Jonesville slash Boggy Creek area, uh, with later sightings ranging as far as several hundred miles from the original pl- uh, location. So to call the Falk Monster the Falk Monster... A little just, misleading. It seems like they just slap that name on any creature that appears within 100 miles of there. Uh, one detail I thought would, would be interesting, at least on a personal level for you and I, was the Falk Monster was named by reporter Jim Powell. Jim Powell. Which uh, Jim Powell used to be a, well, Eric and I's boss once upon a time. Yes. I'm sure it's a different Jim Powell. (laughs) Uh, But he worked for the Texarkana Gazette and the Texarkana Daily News, and he coined the name Falk Monster. It's kind of a generic name. I mean, obviously, we're in Lecklead County, so I guess if we had a similar one, it would be the, the Lecklead Monster. You know, or just they call it the Lebanon Monster, even if you saw it in Columbia. Yeah. yeah Something like that. A little, little vague, and I, I don't know. Now, as far as the appearance of this great beast goes, I mean, when you think of Bigfoot, you think of hairy hominids. They all kind of look very similar. He's a large, hairy hominid covered in long, dark hair, estimated to be seven feet tall, between 250 and 300 pounds. The chest is reported to be three feet wide, which makes him a pretty big boy. Barrel chested. Now, later reports will increase the height up to 10 feet tall and the weight up to 800 pounds. Of course, as time goes by, apparently he grows. He's eight very well. Has a terrible odor, which they can uh, describe as the combination of skunk and wet dog. Very squashish. Gross. But again, the smell, you know, that seems to be part and parcel. In, in the stories of Momo, the Missouri monster, they describe a smell. 
Of course, in Florida, you have the skunk ape, and that right. is literally named for the smell. And a lot of times they say they smell it before they ever see it. That actually causes them to pause and investigate a little further. Now, the beast has bright red eyes described as roughly the size of silver dollars and is said to leave a variety of track and claw marks. Uh, one set of footprints measured 17 inches long, 7 inches wide, and quite a few others showed only three toes. Three toes seems to be fairly common for this particular I monster. I also came across that in my research. One thing a little bit different from your research is I found some, at least some, uh, a portion of the track seemed to be on the smaller scale. Now, you mentioned up to 17 inch. Uh, some of the research that I had done, that was one of the scientists and, and investigators thoughts was this seems to be a little bit smaller version of the large sasquatch bigfoot track so that's interesting that uh it maybe has grown into that possibly a younger version in the earlier years yeah the the falcon monster kind of seems to have a variety of descriptors i don't think there's any one for sure other, other than it being a hairy humanoid creature i don't think there's anything I don't think they pin it down to a particular appearance. Well, one thing we were talking about as we were getting the setup, and and our uh, Alex Tudor was helping us with our uh, sound equipment here. We were talking now. You may or may not have heard of the legend of Boggy Creek, but uh, now this creature has a total of five films made about it. We were talking about this beforehand. I have the names of those here. We could go through those if you want. Sure. Touch on that. You'd mentioned The Legend of Boggy yeah, of Creek. Of course, you have 1972's The Legend of Boggy the Creek. The very first one. A semi-factual documentary-style movie. Now, I personally saw that when I was a much younger child. My mom encouraged me to watch it, knowing that I was into the Bigfoot phenomenon. Uh, even as a kid. I don't remember being scared of it. I don't remember being... Yeah, it's it's a product of its time. Um, well, it obviously was a B-rated movie before say, yeah, probably that label was used a lot. Product of its time and its budget, I would say. I think it was made for you know a handful of dollars, basically. Right. It would, in today's society, you might consider it like um, a school or college-made movie. The, uh, the second movie is 1977's Return to Boggy Creek. This one had a, is a f entirely fictional, based on the story of three children getting lost in the swamp and eventually being rescued by the Falk monster. Interesting pitch. Which, now, I uh, I have seen that one, too. I remember seeing it a couple times growing up. It's, I mean, it's, it's again, you, you say a product of its time. It's Right. It's not high cinema, but it's it's watchable, I think. It's out At there. least it was when I was a kid. <laughs> We, we then jump forward a few years. We have 1985's Boggy Creek 2, and the legend continues. It is intended to be a sequel to the 1972 movie, where a group of students and their professor go to Falk to investigate the monster. Interesting detail. The professor is played by Charles B. Pierce, who was the director of the first movie. Nice. So he makes his return to the Boggy Creek lore. You have 2010's Boggy Creek, The Legend is True which is an unrelated fictional story set in Texas. I mean, they just keep slapping that name on. Which, again, again, we were talking now, Falk, Arkansas, and I'm from right here in Missouri, I thought it was more central Arkansas area, and it's not at all. It's in the Texarkana, extreme southwestern region, yeah, it, close it, to Louisiana, close to Texas. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty close to the state line there. So, yeah, interesting. And then finally, you have 2011's The Le Legacy of Boggy Creek, a docudrama set after the original events. So even only one of these movies purports to actually tell what happened at Boggy Creek back in the 70s. But definitely 
someone is trying to keep the legend alive. I mean, obviously for, let's just face it, a, a little known monster to have five films made about it in a period from 1972 to 2011. Yeah. Uh, there's some effort there. I mean, now I don't know if the sightings have driven that or if it's just a few diehards like you said the one uh, producer i believe in the first film was in the second film i don't know if it's just a group of diehards that are just hey we want to be known for something we're going to be known for this or if the maybe your research has shown something maybe the it just keeps coming up well if you uh if you really look into when there are sightings and mind you not very many of them get a lot of detail but there are sightings, they, they say, you know, maybe a couple per year of what they call the Falk monster. And I'm going to assume, judging by, you know, location, that, that he does roam around a little bit. He's not just local to that area. But every year they have sightings. Even back uh, in some of some of the, my research here, I would say in some years there would be as many as 40 sightings and then fail to detail any of those sightings. See, that I also so. come across a lot of that, that. There was a lot of stories, a lot of uh, sightings. Most are pretty vague. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't come across what I would call physical evidence of any, like, cast tracks or blood samples or fur samples. And that seems to be the thing with the Falk monster. All, almost all evidence is anecdotal. It's somebody who saw something. Hey, I saw it walking across the street. Hey, I saw it in the stream. Hey, I know this guy dog. who saw this, you know, yeah, yeah second There's hand. no fur. There's no photographs. There's no pictures of cat of ca- uh, footprints. There's no cast of footprints. Almost all, all that we have is just based on somebody seeing it. Now, now, I don't know if it was just me. Did you notice anything about the encounters um, that seemed a little off to you, but a lot of them seemed very similar? Well, a lot of them just seem to describe sighting the creature at a distance. Um, crossing the road seems to be a common theme. I found, at least in my research, that, and I'm going to say heavily, over 50%, I'm going to say closer to 60% of the sightings seem to be by women, almost like it was targeting women, for, for lack of a better term, well, I, stalking I, them, if you I will. I guess I didn't look quite as much into who saw the creature. Um, I, I kept coming across, and it would be... Uh, a you know, a group of girls at a sleepover party. It would be a, a couple wives who their husbands was working night shift. And that common thread seemed to come through, not 100%, but again, more often than not, it almost seemed like it was stalking women or children, as the case could be. Going back many, many years to the early 70s, and the first film actually talks about it, the Falk Monster, the legend of Boggy Creek, whatever you want to want to call him or her, Took place really heavily into the 60s and 70s. Seemed to be very strong for about 50 years. And then there was an incident with a small boy who had some hunting dogs. And he went out to, he thought that the dogs were chasing a deer possibly. So he grabbed his gun. And, and again, maybe not in today's society, that might not be accepted. But this this young boy was probably 13-ish, unsupervised. But again, we're in a very rural area, a lot of wildlife. And, you yeah, know, this, that wouldn't be unheard of. Yeah, this was pretty normal for the time frame. But he grabbed his guns, ch- uh, started chasing his dogs, who he thought was chasing a deer. Before he caught up with them, he heard the dogs yelping and kind of screaming. And he, he finally got up there trying to figure out what was going on. He thought possibly it was a bear or a mountain lion. He did see some of the dogs that uh, had been attacked by something. Now, they were running the opposite direction at this point. Um, but he came face to face with the Falk monster and the, 
in the movie, it depicts it quite well. The kid is just absolutely panicked. Uh, the creature turns and looks at him and he fires two shots just directly right at him. The monster lets out these bellowing screams. Obviously he has been hit. He has been injured. Uh, the boy trips over his own feet, drops the gun and literally just runs as fast as he can back to go get help at the house. That ensued in probably one of the biggest manhunt wouldn't be the best word for it, but a creature hunt. And the entire town came out. They brought in uh, some of the best, they said, tracking dogs in the Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas area. And they went out like the next day and started trying to find out what caused this. It did not seem to be a point that this was hard to believe. The, the group was, something's been going on here for many years. Let's put a stop to it. And the story goes on that a lot of these, the best hunting dogs in the region, uh, whenever they would come across a scent, they would whimper and whine and pull away. They did not want to pursue whatever this was. They did mention they found like two-inch sapling trees that were broken, uh, like where the creature was uh, trying to get away. They found pools of blood where the creature had stopped. Grass had been kind of laid out flat where he had possibly stopped and rest. But again, no blood samples, no fur samples, no castings of tracks was made. Hundreds of people took to the woods for this hunt. A lot of them pulled back out when the dogs would not hunt. And again, you got to keep in mind, this is a very swampy, boggy, wooded area, very thick, very hard to get through. Uh, but that same evening, they said a group of dedicated hunters and dogs picked up the scent. They did spot it. They did find more blood trails. They fired shots and believed they ran it out of the area. And after that, there was a period of about eight years where sightings kind of disappeared. Now, what, what would be the time frame on this particular... Well, the film was in 1972, so it, it didn't actually put a time on it, but I would have gathered it would have been like 1965-ish, maybe very late 1960s. Okay, yeah. I think I have a very truncated version of that in my notes here. But where I was kind of going with the story was, up until then, it seemed like the creature was actually very laid back and docile. There wasn't really any attacks or anything until they hunted it, shot it, injured it, ran it off. And then when it does come back for encounters, it does kind of seem to take on a little bit more of an aggressive attitude, which I guess could be, I mean, obviously explained. Yeah, that's definitely something I noticed is that this seems to be more aggressive than your typical Bigfoot story. He does seem to attack dogs and really one of the most best documented ones is him attacking the Ford house. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I have uh, here that the first reported sightings started back as possibly as far as 1908. And then I believe their, their sightings kind of continue with batches of sightings around 1953, 55, possibly. And then uh, they claim that there's uh, an ape-like creature roaming the area back in 1964, which I think kind of coincides with your story of the, the young boy. And the locals themselves say it goes back as far as 1946. So you have a lot of different years here thrown around as far as when the beast is there, when it's not. Um, one of my favorite pre-1971 stories, in December of 1969, a family driving on Highway 71 saw what they thought was a man in a fur coat walking down the road <laughs> heading the opposite direction. That's December. 
Uh, it's okay. close to Christmas time. They feel they should be charitable. They want to stop and pick up this guy. Obviously, he's freezing. Oh, my walking gosh. Walking down the road. So they, they, pull, they start to pull over, and as they get closer, it raises a thick, hairy, muscular arm to shield its eyes from the headlights. And at that point in time, they realize this is no man. This is a beast covered in thick, shaggy fur. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm envisioning the Slim Jim commercial messing with Sasquatch <laughs> here at this point in time. <laughs> hey, buddy. You want to ride? Hey. Uh, he, he's caked in mud from his knees down. And obviously, when they realize that they're not stopping, when they're not going to be good Samaritans to pick this guy up, <laughs> they just kind of hit the gas and take off for home. Interesting. Now, in 1971, seems to be the main sighting, if you will, that kind of gets all this started. And so on the night of May 2nd, Bobby and Elizabeth Ford have probably what is arguably the most well-documented, the most commonly accepted encounter with the Falk monster. They had heard something moving outside uh, late at night for several months prior to what they would consider their encounter. So not being locals of the area, they had just recently moved in. They didn't really know what was going on. They didn't know what kind of animals they had in the area. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the this is two families that had come together to kind of save money. I believe the husbands had taken a job at a local ranch, and so the husbands were away working nights, so the the wives and the kids would be together. Uh, it, it's Now, it's possible that that is their situation. Now, the night in question, I believe the... The husband and his friends were out hunting is what I have documented. Yes, yeah. yes. I think we're on the same families. So, yeah. But uh, most most uh, versions of it just account it to the Fords. So they, their living situation may have been something, you know, different. Now, uh, other witnesses of that night include Bobby's brother and what, what they called his hunting companions. So they must have been out hunting that night. But originally the men spotted the creature around back of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took a shot at it, and they said they saw it fall. And then they started back towards the creature. They wanted to, you know, well, I mean, obviously, want to see what they'd kill. They yeah, didn't know what it was. Wanted to pursue it. When Bobby heard a woman scream from the house, and so he takes off running. Now, Elizabeth Ford was asleep on the couch while everybody was out hunting that night when a large arm reached through the window to grab her, tried to snatch her off the couch. She saw the creature's large red eyes through the window and, and obviously let out a scream, which which got Bobby's attention. Bobby came back and was attacked by the creature. At one point in time, it grabbed him even. And in his own words, he ran. He, he managed to get away and ran home so fast that he just ran straight through the front screen door. <laughs> Didn't even bother to open it to get away from this beast. The men took shots at the creature mm -hmm. at that point in time. Uh, they claim that they never found blood. They believe they'd hit it, but they didn't seem to find any traces of blood. And there was an extensive search that failed to turn up any more details of the creature. They said it moved very fast. They found the traditional three-toed toe footprints near the house. They found scratch marks on the porch and damage to the window in the house siding near where it would have reached through the window. The, the sheriff's department came and investigated the area, I believe Bobby went to the hospital and he was, he, it is documented, he did have scratches. Right. But the old boy did run straight through a screen door, so. Sure, sure. I uh, I had found in that encounter that uh, when the sheriff actually arrived, Bobby was, uh, I, I guess in shock would be the best way to put it, he was not able to really carry on at least conversations. And uh, the sheriff actually give them a police escort to the ER in uh, Texarkana. And yes, he did have some damage, and he said, 
or the best they could tell was he was mauled, was the word that was used, picked up, possibly even thrown by this creature. Um, so, I mean, yes, it was taken very serious. The police come out, uh, did a full-blown report. They looked around. Yeah, uh, it, it says the police did come out and investigate the area. They found the tracks and the scratches. Uh, but again, it, it kind of goes back to that. There's no physical evidence. They didn't take any pictures. They didn't collect samples of anything. And you would think by this time frame, I mean, it's not that hard to have a camera. You, you've got news reporters and stuff that are around there. Tracks have been cast of Sasquatch and Bigfoot for, you know, since the late 60s for sure. I, I don't know why we keep missing that yeah. very important key. I mean, that's evidence that, you know, you would want to get that. Well, not not too long after that, uh, Jim Powell, which we referenced earlier, is working for the Texarkana newspapers, came out to an uh, interview the Fords and... Uh, I don't know the name of the other family that was there. So Turners, I believe. Fords is my and the Turners. Uh, when he showed up, they were in the process of packing up house. They got out of Dodge. They, they had they, enough they after that incident. They didn't want any more to do with it. And I don't blame them. That'd be a rough night to get through. And, and this was, this is exactly, your story was the, the same as the one I was thinking about. Yeah, there was two families, the, the Fords and the Turners, who had moved newly to the area. From what I showed, uh, the two husbands, I think, worked at a nearby ranch. And they were kind of night shift. So, one, they had decided because they were moving to a new area, the families were going to live together, save some money, and that way the wives, and they had children, both families did have children, so they could kind of accompany each other while the husbands were away. But the girls, this is kind of going back to what I was saying before, it, it, it almost seemed to kind of target women. The girls had several sightings while the husbands were away at work that led up to this uh, ordeal. Everything from they spotted it, they heard some noise outside would open the window. They would find it, uh, you know, out there just kind of like going through the trash, uh, nosing around. But it always seemed to kind of keep a distance until like the third or fourth sighting. And then they said it would actually like they felt it was like a cow rubbing up against the mobile home trailer enough that it would move it. I mean, you could feel it. You could hear it. And the girls kept telling their husbands and the landlord, which I believe was the rancher the husbands actually worked for, um, he was called several times. He came down with a gun thinking that, you know, there was somebody that was just trying to mess with them, possibly break in. He could never find anything. No signs, uh, no mention of tracks. But this had kind of escalated up to this event when the uh, when the guys were home and they had I want to say it was a brother-in-law and some friends that came over for a hunting trip, and that's when this whole ordeal happened. So, and, and this this 1971 encounter is probably the most well documented out of all of them. Uh, there for a little while in the 70s, you do have other reports. Uh, later, May 23rd, three people: D.C. Woods Jr., Wilma Woods, and a Mrs. R.H. Sedgas. Uh, reportedly, see an ape-like creature crossing U.S. Highway 71 again. Here we go again. Uh, and that, that's about it. You, you have more sightings over the following months from locals and tourists alike. Uh, additional footprints found in a nearby soybean field belonging to uh, Scott Keith, a local, showed the three-toed footprints again. And then in the fall later that year, near Falk, the, a local family reportedly heard howls from the woods and, and saw a creature walking in their woods. But that's about it. I mean, you, you, they say that there's reported sightings almost every year, a couple of times a year. Like you said, one of those, it said there were like 40-something sightings in one particular year, but it, there's not a lot of detail on those Just sightings. Just snapshots. It's I like, mean, hey, I, I saw it. Yeah, I say snapshots. I wish we would have had a snapshot of a picture, 
Now, here's a couple of little interesting tidbits about that, that time frame. Right after the sightings, local Little Rock lady, radio station KAAY, and, and I'm going to say, like, weirdly specific, posted a $1,090 bounty on the creature. Hmm. Uh, there were several attempts to track the creature with dogs, which, you know, they didn't have a lot of luck with that. When local hunters got involved, the Miller County Sheriff issued a temporary no-guns policy, which for that part of the world... That's a That's big thing. Strict. That's a big thing. In 1971, three people were fined $59 each for, quote, filing a fraudulent monster report. Ooch. Getting serious now. So uh, by the time you get to 1973, you know, 1974, interest in the creature kind of goes away. Uh, in 1978, you get some more tracks reported by some brothers near Russellville. There are sightings near Center Ridge, Arkansas. On June 26th, there's a sighting reported near Crossett, Arkansas. Uh, in that time frame, the creature is blamed for missing livestock and attack on dogs. Again, we talked about it seems yep. like an aggressive thing. I had one sighting that I had come across. Again, it was pretty vague and short, but there was um, uh, a hunter who raised prize hunting dogs. And one night he heard something attacking his dogs outside. So he was awakened, uh, grabbed his gun, you know, ran out with a flashlight and he found, this is kind of graphic, but found the dog skinned alive in his yeah. words. And it was so fresh that it, the body was still like flinching and everything. Uh, and it was like thrown over, uh, I guess you would say the dog pin. It was like still kind of hanging on the side, like he, uh. had, he had interrupted something. Uh, definitely, it went from a docile, laid back creature to very ag aggressive. Well, again, if it's the same creature and you're taking pot shots at it from time to time, I guess you can't. Maybe they pushed it. Yeah, too maybe far. pushed it a little bit. Maybe I did it's have. It's like Rambo. Right? I, I did have uh, another one I thought here was worth mentioning. Uh, this took place on the property of a, a gentleman by the name of Howard Walhaven. Um, he was an avid uh, hunter, fisherman, and had he been at home, uh, he swore things would have went a little differently. But uh, he was out of town on work, so his uh, teenage daughter uh, had invited a couple girlfriends over for a sleepover. And this would have been in the early 70s time frame. The girls were having their normal sleepover. And, of course, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you start telling ghost stories or hearing knocks and, and noise. And they started getting kind of spooked and scared. So the girls, uh, they go and they think something's outside. And sure enough, they see a hairy, human-like creature that is observing them from a distance and kind of Sasquatch style. He is picking up rocks and throwing against the house. That seems to be a, a Sasquatch thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so that obviously got their attention. The one girl saw it, hollered for the other girls to come. They didn't see it at first. However, by giving it attention, it seemed to come closer um, it was out on the front lawn and started picking up flower pots and breaking them, throwing stuff, uh, like the flower pots, uh, pulling up, like rooting up, uh, flowers and trees, small twigs and throwing them. So he's just a vandal at this point. Yeah. He's just vandalizing the heck out of the place. The girl's absolutely scared to death. They hunker down. They make it through the night. You know, they're, apparently there's no phone or anything for them to contact anyone. So they have to wait for Howard Walhaven to come back home. And when daylight comes, sure enough, vandalized. I mean, there's flower pots broken, trees and stuff bent over, branches broke off, and that was kind of it. Well, really, there's not a lot of not a lot of sightings even after the 1970s. Uh, again, you get sporadic reports. In 1991, the creature was seen jumping from a bridge. 
which when I read that, I really hoped it wouldn't be the last sighting. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't. 1997, it's the year that I've referred to a couple times, 40 reported sightings. And yet if you look up 1997 Falk monster sightings, you find no detail about any of them. Hmm. And then in 1998, the creature was sighted in a dry creek bed five miles south of Falk. And that's sort of the last official like documented sighting. Now, if there is a website dedicated just to the Falk monster, and uh, again, the details aren't quite... It, you know, you know, no, no sighting is as detailed as the 1971 sighting by the Fords. Uh, now they, they on their website have sightings, you know, from the 1950s or, or so, all the way up through you know last year, this year. Hmm. So they, 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 but they, they accept submissions. So, are these legit? Are these people looking right. to make a name for themselves? Right. I, I don't know. But they say that, you know, every year, every couple of years, there's a sighting of, of the Falk monster somewhere in that area. Well, I know in the movie, uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, there's a kind of a, for lack of a better term, a hermit that uh, lives about three miles down the river. And I cannot remember his name. I think they do give it in the movie. But uh, while they're there filming the movie, they go out to him and they think, well, this guy, I mean, he's living off the grid, basically. Let's see what he has to say about it. He scoffed and laughed about it. He said, you know, I've lived out here in the swamps and the boggy area for, I think he said, 20 plus years. He just kind of lives out there by himself. Uh, he said he has never heard anything. He has never saw anything. He has no reason to believe this creature even exists remotely. Uh, so I, I think they were hoping for a little bit slightly different story. And so that and, means he's the creature, right? Using Scooby-Doo rules. Yeah, Scooby-Doo rules. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I think the official take on this one is is that it's an absolute hoax. They've sure tried. I mean, they've they've done their best to keep it alive in the in the 70s. The the mention that you made where they found some new tracks. It seems to uh, rebirth it every now and then, and and kind of rekindles the fire, so to speak. But, uh, I mean, they've called scientists in, scholars and everything, and they've speculated, uh, got national attention, but they've speculated, is it a orangutan? Is it a gorilla? You know, trying to put uh, some logic to it. But the thing that really seems to throw everybody off is the three toes, which seems to be very consistent with the sightings. Yeah, a lot of scientists would argue that that is not a feature you're going to find in any, any kind of humanoid or primate. Right. Gorillas, orangutans, apes, monkeys, none of them have three toes. Now, I guess one could argue that maybe it's sort of some sort of birth defect, maybe. But would you have three toes on both feet? You know, possibly? I, I don't know. It, it's, yeah. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. I mean, obviously, like I said, a, a creature that's got five films dedicated to it, uh, <laughs> a, a website with sightings all the way up to present day. You know, um, it's a very famous monster. They've done their best to, to keep it alive. Uh, one would have to ask, you know, how old would this creature have to be at this point? Is there more than one? Well, I, I think the common argument with anything related to Sasquatch, Bigfoot-type phenomenon, there has to be a breeding population for these creatures to exist. To continue to exist. You can't just have immortal Sasquatch roaming the right. woods. He's 2,000 years old, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, I'm on, on the fence. Uh, as a young teenager, I remember watching the film and... Uh, I will say I watched it again before the podcast, just to kind of refresh, because it would probably been 20 years since I'd watched it. I, I had tried to watch it not that many years ago with my kids, and, and it, it's seriously, a little rough. we got five minutes into it's, it, maybe. It's a little rough. You really, 
you've got to want to watch the content pretty yeah. bad. It's a product of its time. When, when when we took our vacation and we went down to Arkansas not that long ago, it was one of my thoughts was even to go to Falk. I mean, that's how much this this creature is part of the lore that that I, I thought I was relatively close. Turns out where I was at was still a couple well, hours away. We thought away. the same thing, yeah. And yeah. I, I I didn't feel like going that far out of my way, but if I'd been closer, I definitely would have gone to that town just to say I'd been there. Now, I did find some references. I don't know if you did. That at least at one time, there was kind of a little uh, museum, if you will, that was set up there. I don't know if that's still... In... Well, I know they, they have a yearly Falk Monster Festival. Okay. And it's almost it's typically held in Falk. Now, it has moved. I think it was in Texarkana one year and... But they, they have this festival, and it's almost like a, let's say, a cryptid convention. They get people that are supposedly experts on Bigfoot lore sure. and, and the like, and they, they, they make their presentations and they talk. So I know they, I mean, obviously, Falk need, you know, one's going to blame them if they cash in on the, the little bit of celebrity that their town has. And I think that small town has a population of just under 1,000. I yeah. mean, 900 and something. So it's a very small rural well, what community. Is well, you know, the the town where they saw Mothman has the big Mothman statue and a Mothman festival. Yeah. When you have some sort of claim to fame like this, no one's going to fault you for cashing in on yeah. it. Yeah, take it. Take it and run with it. Take it and run with it. So. All right, well, that's really about all I could come up with this on the creature. It is an interesting one. And like I said, um, if nothing else, I, I kind of imagine... The uh, Slim Jim commercial messing with Sasquatch, but I mean, this guy has got a lot of fame with movies. Maybe he's got some big glasses with sequins on the side, macho man, <laughs> Randy Savage-ish, uh, strolling down the red carpet. Uh, you know, so maybe there'll be a newer film with, hopefully, uh, some newer evidence. I would love to see, uh, you know, some foot castings, some fur samples. Uh, you know, because I'm kind of like. Uh, Molder, you know, I want to believe. Well, but, I, yeah, uh, I want to believe. It's, it's hard when you don't really have any what? physical evidence. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's all anecdotal. It's all I saw, I saw, you know, this happened, that happened. But there's no photographs. There's no plaster cast of footprints or anything. Yeah. You would think that would be pretty common. The Bigfoot phenomenon was well on its way, you know, when they when they had the 71 encounter. So. Yeah. Well, we'll let you uh, guys be the uh, deciding factor. We just want to bring you these stories. And this is just another example of what you will find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks for listening. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. Uh, um, he's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.